Good morning, and welcome to the radio broadcasts of the Brinesburg Missionary Baptist Church. Even the church at times, our mind gets so cluttered with things that are going on, things we're going to do, things we've got to do. And we forget what our time together is all about. And this song reminds us of the heart of worship. It's all about Jesus. It all belongs to him. So let's think about as we sing this song of worship, the heart of worship. Let's focus upon our Lord. Here we go. When the music fades, all is swept away. And I simply come. Longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within. Through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it when it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. King of endless worth, no one could express how much you deserve. Though I'm weak and poor, all I have is yours. Every single breath, I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within, through the way things appear, you're looking into my It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I made it. When it's all about you. Remember this? It's all about you, Jesus. Amen. 
As we come to this time in our service, we have an opportunity to just come to this altar and to spend some time in prayer. I know this week many have, have talked to me and uh, some about issues that have e- even arose last week as we talked about forgiveness and, and what that means in our lives. Some of you have uh, come to me about concerns because you've got some big health issues coming up, some big surgeries coming up. Some of you have been talking to me about the need to share the gospel with someone who it's not very easy to share with. Uh, there's some conflict there just because they don't want to hear. And uh, only the Holy Spirit can soften their hearts. And so I know all of us are sitting here and all of us have a need on our heart. All of us have a burden. All of us have a concern. Many of us have an unspoken request that maybe only the Lord knows about. Let's take those things and let's lay them down at the, at the foot of the cross this morning. Let's give it to Him and allow our hearts to be ready to hear from Him this morning. And so with every head bowed and with all eyes closed, this altar is open. If you want to come and pray, come and pray. If you just want to make that place where you're sitting an altar, do that. If you're at home, right where you're at, make that spot in front of the chair or couch or wherever you may be. Make that your altar. But let's just humble ourselves. Let's bow before the Lord and spend time with Him. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. And Lord, all of us recognize that we have issues in our lives that are too big for us to handle. So Lord, we hand them over to you. We lay them down at the foot of the cross and we pray this morning that you would give us the ability to leave them there and to not try to take it back up and carry it back home with us. Lord, many of us lift up a physical need to you this morning. Lord, some of us lift up a a issue in our heart, maybe someone that we need to forgive. Someone that we need to go maybe ask for forgiveness from. Many of us are sitting here this morning and we recognize that we desperately need to go to someone that you've laid on our heart. We need to share the gospel. We know that that's not going to be an easy conversation because we've tried before and it's been difficult. But Lord, you've called us to go again. So Lord, give us a holy boldness to go and to share with love, perhaps even with tears, to let them know what a burden we have on our heart for them. But Lord, we pray that you would cause their hearts to be tender. And we pray for salvation even today, even in this place. Maybe someone here, maybe someone watching on television or on Facebook Live, but Lord, we pray for salvation this morning. That's a work that only you can do. So Lord, we give this time over to you. Have your will, have your way. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Just stand with me and let's praise and bless that wonderful name of Jesus. Blessed be the name. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, blessed be the name of the Lord, the glories of my God and King. Blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be the name, blessed be the name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Jesus, the name that calms my fears. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Tis music in the sinner's ears. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name. 
this morning well I had it ready and then my iPad decided to uh, update
Today you'll be listening to the message preached by our pastor, Brother Brad Walker, during our Sunday morning worship service. May God bless you as you listen to his message. Thank you, Hannah. Don't you wish you could just wing it like that? <laughs> wow. Praise the Lord. If you will, turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation. Revelation chapter 3 this morning. I've had that technology issue happen before with me, and I get up here and there's no notes, and that makes the sermon shorter, but that's not the case this morning. So uh, they're all here. As you're turning there to Revelation chapter 3, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. And we thank you. We thank you for worship. We thank you for the opportunity to lift up our voices, Lord, to, to sing with all that we have. Lord, recognizing what a glorious Savior you are. And Lord, that we brought nothing to the table, that this, this relationship that we have is all about you. It's what you've done for us. And we just bring a, a broken, sinful life and lay it down and say, I repent, Lord, save me. And Lord, because of your amazing love, you do. Lord, I pray this morning that as we look at the life of a dead church, Lord, that we wouldn't see a reflection. But Lord, I pray that we would hear a warning. And Lord, I pray that as we hear that warning, that it would cause us to strive all the more to not work in the flesh, but in all that we do, that it would be in the Spirit, because it is all about you. It's all about Jesus. Lord, if there's even one here today that recognizes through this time that they do not have a relationship with you, that they are currently spiritually dead themselves, I pray that they would repent. I pray that they turn to you and be saved. And Lord, we'll rejoice with the angels in heaven. Oh, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For just a moment, I want you to imagine with me that you find yourself stranded in the, miser- in the middle of a scorching, hot desert. And at this point, you've been there for so long that you're just about dead from heat exhaustion and from thirst. You've been crawling, trying to find help and no help. To be found. When suddenly you come upon a sign, a sign that is promising life giving water only five miles ahead. Five miles, it seems so far, but the promise of water causes you to have renewed strength and hope. And so you begin to crawl with everything left in you, you crawl, and finally you come to a magnificent building that continues to give the promise of life-giving water. As you crawl through the doors, you can see the well, and you make your way to that well, and with the last little bit of energy that you have, you pull yourself up to that well, and you grab a hold of that bucket, and with the last bit of strength, you lower it down, ready to hear that amazing sound of splash. But all you hear is a thud as the bucket hits 
the dry bottom of a well. You think you're delirious, and so you do all you can to, to pull the bucket back up. Surely it's got water in it, and you just you didn't realize, you, you didn't hear the splash. Something, something has to be in this bucket, and there is something in that bucket as you pull it up. Dry dust. Dust that cannot quench your thirst. Dust that can only destroy all hope. You see, many, many in the world are crawling through a desert, hoping that someone is going to show them where they can find the water that will bring life, where they will find the bread that will bring life, only to find all the trappings and all the rituals, but no help or no hope for those who have made their way there. And such was the condition of the church at Sardis. The church in Sardis had taken on the character of the city in which she resided. And again, as we look at these churches, it helps us to have a little background about the cities that they are in. And Sardis was the capital of the city. It was the capital city of Lydia. And it was founded in about 1200 BC. The origins of the city are that it sat upon a plateau on a mountain about 1500 feet high. And there was one narrow road that led in to that city. The other sides of the plateau were just steep cliffs that just fell off. And so this made the city very safe. In fact, it made it nearly impenetrable by invading armies. Gold and silver coins were first minted in Sardis. The city of Sardis was famous for the industries that operated there. Carpet, wool, and dyed cloth were their primary products. And it was said that the art of dyeing was actually invented in Sardis. At one time, Sardis had been one of the greatest cities in the entire world. It reached its zenith under King Croesus. King Croesus and Sardis were famed the world around for their great wealth. In that part of the world, it is still common to hear the phrase, as wealthy as Croesus. So while Sardis reached its zenith under Croesus, it also fell under his reign. He and the people of the city became complacent in their wealth and their power and in the city's apparent invincibility. So when that region where Sardis was located came under attack by, by Cyrus the Persian, King Croesus and his people retreated to the city, believing that, that they would be completely safe in that place. But one night, one of the Persian soldiers saw a Sardinian soldier drop his helmet over the wall of the city. And he watched as that soldier then followed a little hidden, unknown path down the side of the mountain to, re to retrieve that helmet. And so when nightfall came, Cyrus and his troops just followed that hidden little path up the side of the mountain. They entered the city while the guard slept and they conquered Sardis. Sardis regained some of its former wealth under the reign of Alexander the Great, but was invaded and defeated by Antipas the Great and also entered the city at night. Guess what? Why the guards slept. And so when the Romans came, Sardis was still wealthy. It was still a powerful city, but it was just a, a shell of what it had once been. And by John's day, Sardis was just a shell. And so the people had grown lazy, degenerate, immoral, 
complacent. Sardis was dying through apathy and through indifference. And so the city was proud of its past. It was proud of its reputation, but its reputation honestly was all that it had left. For all intents and purposes, the city of Sardis was dead, even while it lived. And apparently the church in Sardis had adopted the atmosphere in, in the, uh, of the city in which it resided. The church had become a thermometer that registered the temperature of the city instead of being the thermostat that it was called to be to change the temperature. It is in this church that had become lazy and apathetic and complacent that the Lord Jesus Christ comes. And just as surely as the city of Sardis was dying, so the church in that city was dying as well. And Jesus has no words of commendation for them, but he does have words of counsel. And I would like for us to look at our Lord's words to this dying church, because I believe there's a word of warning for all of us, for individuals and for churches alike, of the dangers that Sardis found as well. So Revelation chapter 3, let's look at verses 1 through 6 this morning. Please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch. I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt, know, shalt not know what hour I will come unto thee. Thou hast a few names even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before the Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. You may be seated. So what does the great physician have to say about this dying church? First, we see the great physician's pronouncement in verse 1. He, pro he comes proclaiming his deity. Jesus comes to this church as one who has the seven spirits of God and the one who is holding the seven stars. Now, the seven spirits of God refers to the Holy Spirit and his complete ministry here. This is a reminder to the churches that we are to operate not under the power of human skill and leadership and organization, but under the awesome power of the Holy Spirit of God himself. And when the church walks in power of the flesh, we will surely fail. But when we walk in the power of the Spirit, there will be success. There will be glory. There will be a power and a life instead of deadness and ineffectiveness. When the human spirit is in control of the body, we know that the body can do some amazing things. We can accomplish some amazing things. For instance, a pianist can sit down at a keyboard, just as Hannah did just a moment ago, and perform thousands of delicate, precise movements that produce beautiful music. However, if you let that pianist suffer some kind of injury, that leaves the arms paralyzed. The mind is no longer able to control the arms and the hands and the fingers. Then, try as they might, the human spirit cannot will the music to come no matter how much they so, de so desire. 
And so too, when the Spirit of God is in control of the members of the church, great things are accomplished. However, when he is not, when he is not in control, when we try to do it through the power of the flesh, paralysis is the result. And ultimately, nothing is accomplished of eternal significance for God. Now, again, we've talked many times that the seven stars are the pastors of these churches, and they are the messengers who are bringing the people the word of God. So Jesus appears as one who has everything the church needs to succeed. His spirit has all the power the churches need. His word has all the direction that the churches need. Jesus seems to be saying, if you will just submit to me, then you will find in me all you need to accomplish the mission that I've called you to in the world. Now, this is a message that we as the modern church need to hear today. Many men are trying many different methods to reach sinners and to do the work of the church. But all the power that we need is found in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and in his word. And so what we need ultimately is not a new method, but a new desire to seek the fullness of the Holy Spirit and to do everything according to the teaching of the word of God. Church, I can give you all the new methods available today. But if you have no desire to go and to be a person who practices personal evangelism in your daily life, nothing's going to change. It requires you to have the desire to do what God's called you to do. The Lord can give me all the methods he wants to, but if I don't have a desire to go and do it, nothing's going to get done. So also we see he, he comes proclaiming his discernment. He says, I know thy works. He comes as one who sees all and who knows all. He knows everything that this church is doing. And guess what? He knows everything that you are doing. He knows everything that we as Brinesburg Baptist Church are doing. He sees it all along with the motives that drive us to do what we do. He sees us as a whole and he sees the individual as well. He knows our hearts. He knows everything we do and he knows why we are doing it. I don't know about you, but that's a sobering thought. He knows, this, he knows the motives behind what we're doing. But also he comes proclaiming his diagnosis. Apparently their, their work gave them the appearance of life. And Jesus tells them that they have that reputation, that they're a, a busy working church. with a, Really, they had a great reputation among men. From all outward appearances, this church was everything that a church ought to be. They believed the right things. They were busy doing all, all that they could do in their community. And, and I'm sure everyone who saw them would say, that's a church on fire. If you move to Sardis, your, your, church, your pastor would say, hey, why don't you ch ch try out that First Baptist Church of Sardis? It's, it's a pretty good church. You should go over there and see what they're doing. But it had no life. The appearance of life, but no life. Things were not as they seemed. The great physician he takes his finger and he puts it on the pulse of the church at Sardis and he finds that they are dead. No matter what others thought, Jesus knew the truth. And he tells them that even though everyone thinks that they're alive, that they are in fact dead. Now what does that word dead mean? Well, write this down. The word dead actually means dead. Okay? That's what it means. It means dead. It means dead as a doornail. There was no life. There was no activity that really had eternal significance. You know, there was activity, but it wasn't spiritual in nature. There was busyness, but it wasn't bringing about anything of an eternal significance. They were preaching, yes, 
but lives were not being changed and sinners were not being saved. They were busy, but they were operating in the energy of the flesh and not in the energy of the Spirit of God. Everyone looked at them and spoke of their life, but Jesus, the one who knew them better than anyone, looks at them and pronounces them dead. Looks are deceiving. Our family, over the last few years, we have taken, I don't even know how many trips, to Branson, Missouri. And really, one of our favorite things as we go into Missouri is to go to Springfield and go over there to the Bass Pro Shop. And there at the Bass Pro Shop, they have uh, the museum uh, of, of, uh, of, of wildlife. And, and it's an amazing aquarium that they have there as well. But that museum of, of wildlife has taxidermied animals. And if you've been there, then you know what I'm talking about. They look so lifelike that you have to take a step back because it's just overwhelming. They have them in these natural settings. And in some of them, it looks like they're diving into water and going after a fish. Some of them, they're fighting. Some of them, they're, it looks like they're, uh, you know, that these, these uh, you know, rams are running down a mountainside. It, it's amazing in every kind of animal that you could imagine. And you have to take a step back. But when you, when you begin to realize what they are, it, it, it's amazing how lifelike they can make them because ultimately, you know what they actually are? They're an empty shell with an animal's dead skin wrapped around it. They look lifelike, but in reality, they are a dead, empty shell. Many churches, I'm afraid, are in that same shape today. They have all the appearances of life, but the great physician who has his finger on the pulse He says they're dead. He says there's no life. Friends, his finger is on the pulse of Brinesburg Baptist Church this morning as well. And does he feel a pulse? Is it a strong, is it a steady pulse? Or is it a weak and failing one? What does he know about our church and and what does that mean about us? Here are some signs that a church is dying. A dying church rests on its past accomplishments, and is satisfied with its present state. A dying church is more concerned with rituals and, and formalities than about spirituality. A dying church is more concerned about social change than they are about seeing people changed by the power of God. A dying church is more concerned with material growth than it is with spiritual growth. A dying church is more concerned with pleasing men than it is with pleasing God. A dying church clings more tightly to policies and procedures than it does the word of God. A dying church is one that loses its conviction that the Bible is the word of God. And so if we've looked at what a dying church is, I believe it's very important that we look at what a thriving, vibrant church is as well. A living church, a vibrant church, a growing church is, is one that sees growth. And growth is something important to anything that is alive. All living things are characterized by growth. And I praise the Lord that I'm still growing because that means I'm alive. Uh, I may not be growing up, I'm growing out, but it means I'm still alive. Uh, when things cease to grow, what does that mean about them? It means that they're dead. And so living things are growing things. And that's true of the church 
as well. The church is no exception. When people think of growth in the church, they oftentimes think of numerical growth. And numerical growth is important. And here's why. Because it, it represents individuals. It, it represents individual lives. And hopefully numerical growth means that you have spiritual growth. But that is the more important part of this. Spiritual growth are, are, are the individual members of that church growing spiritually on a daily basis. Is that process of sanctification happening on a daily basis where they're becoming more and more like Jesus each and every day? A, a living, vibrant church church is one that is growing, but also it's one that finds harmony. When a physical body develops problems, most often it's because there's disharmony in the body. And cancer is one of the, one of the examples of that, because cancer is where cells become infected with cancer, and then they begin to attack the healthy cells of that body. And so if that's left unchecked, the result will be disintegration of the body and ultimately results in death. The same is true of the church. When a church is alive and well, there will be unity, there will be harmony, there will be fellowship within that church body. But when there isn't, the body is diseased and it's headed for trouble unless the infected parts come back into harmony. And so when a church becomes fractured, it is headed for disaster and it's headed for death. But also we see emotion. Emotion is another mark of life in the physical realm. Uh, And we see that because I'm alive, there's some things that are going to happen in my life. Because I'm alive, I am able to laugh, I'm able to cry, I'm able to feel pain, I'm able to feel joy, I'm able to yell at the top of my lungs when my kids are running on a Saturday, that's why my voice is like this today. But I have emotions, and if you've, if you've spent much time with Brother Brad, you know I'm an emotional guy, and I have emotions, and that means I'm alive. Uh, but we, you should feel emotions in your life, and it's, you know, why sometimes I'll go to the funeral home. And um, the family, you know, I'll be there as they, as they walk in and as the casket is open just for the family for the first time. And they'll walk up and they'll, they'll say, you know, it just doesn't look like mom. It doesn't look like dad. It doesn't look like my husband or my wife or my child or whoever it is because they always had that smile on their face. They always were laughing and they always had that twinkle in their eye. And, and because now that they are dead, that's just not there. No matter how much the undertaker may try, he can't bring about those emotions Because only living things have emotion. And again, the same is true of the church. A living church is is an emotional church. There will be times when we will laugh together, and there will be times when we will weep together. There will be times when we will shout together, and there will be times when we sing together. There's going to be times when we hurt together, and there's going to be times when we pray together. There will be emotion. Life brings emotion. But life also brings motion. Motion is another sign of life. Physical bodies are bodies in motion. One sure sign of death is the absence of any motion. And so it is within the church. When there is life in the church, there's going to be motion. The church will be active in the world doing the work of the Lord. So how do we measure up? Do we exhibit the signs of life or signs of death? I don't think we're dead. Praise the Lord. I don't think we're dead. But I do think that we could sure show more signs of life. We could do more to show that we're alive. You know, a little bit of, of, of emotion during worship. I don't know. More than this. Some things like that. But the Lord knows. He's got his finger on the pulse. What does it say about us? 
But also look at verses 2 and 3. That we see the great physician's prescription. The church in Sardis is in sad shape. But he says not all is not lost. It appears that there is still hope for them to make some changes and to get back to where they need to be. And so they're commanded to watch. They're told to be watchful. Literally, it means to, to chase sleep. Again, Sardis is a church with a glorious past. They have allowed the past successes, though, to lull them into a state of complacency and into a state of spiritual slumber. And so Jesus calls upon them to chase away sleep. He commands for them to wake up and to realize that the victories of yesterday are not sufficient for today. It's not enough that we used to do great missions. It's not enough that we used to have great revivals. What are we doing now? You see, the people in Sardis would have understood exactly what Jesus was talking about. Go back to what I said about the city. As we mentioned, Sardis was located on the top of this plateau on a mountain. And it had one entrance on the southern side, which was the only way that you could get into that city. Therefore, all that Sardis had to do was to put a detail at that one place to watch the city. But on two different occasions in the history of that city, they were invaded by enemies because they felt secure, believing the hill was impenetrable, and the guards were asleep on the job. Guess what? You can't sleep on the job. And so in 549 B.C., the soldiers of Cyrus scaled that fortification. And then again in 218, Antiochus the Great captured Sardis because the soldiers slipped over the wall while the watchmen slept on the job. When we allow ourselves to sleep because of what we have enjoyed in the past, we are going to find ourselves conquered by the enemy. It happens all too often in churches today. A church struggles to get started. And the people who start that church, they are in prayer on a daily basis. They're, they're busy doing the work of evangelism, trying to find people and bring them into the church and, and telling them about Jesus. And, and they struggle to scrape just enough money together to, to be able to, to, to have a place to meet and, and to be able to do the ministries the Lord's called them to do. But guess what happens over time? Over time, the Lord blesses and people begin to come. And as people begin to come, guess what? Financial resources begin to come into that church. And as financial resources come into the church, guess what? They're able to build buildings and they're able to hire more staff. And yet in the midst of all of these good things, something terrible takes place. The church begins to lose the vision that they once had in their early years. And they become content to just sit back and enjoy the fruits of their labor. And while we ought to be thankful for what the Lord has done for us, there is never a time for us to sit back and sleep. There's no time for us to look back at yesterday and say, oh, wasn't that great? All right, well, we've done enough now. Our vision ought to always be about today and tomorrow. And who have we not yet reached? We must fight the tendency to become still and satisfied and complacent and apathetic. But also they're told to work. They're told to work. The Lord gives this church four activities that are, that are to be busy, engaged in. And I believe these are important for all of us. If, if maybe we find in our individual lives or in the life of our church beginning to sleep a little bit. These are things that all of us must do. First, revive. He says, strengthen the things which remain. He tells them that not everything about them is dead. That there is still some things that have a spark of life in them. And these things are to be revived before they die out. The phrase, they are ready to die, literally means that they are knocking on death's door. And so this is a call for them to get stirred up again for the things of God. It is literally a call for spiritual revival. 
not for a, a, a date of four meetings or five meetings or six meetings or seven meetings, but for spiritual revival. He says, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. It means that works are incomplete and, and not, not reaching heaven. They have, they have some things in their midst that are good, but those works need reviving for them to make any eternal difference. They're singing and they're praying and they're preaching and they're giving, but their works were not reaching heaven. They were accomplishing nothing of eternal value because they were doing it in their own strength. They were dead people doing dead works. You see, it's possible to be busy doing the things of God and yet be doing nothing for God. Unless our works are complete, they will never reach heaven and there will be no glory for God in the church. What churches like this need is to be stirred by the Spirit of God into new life and activity for the glory of God. But also he tells them to remember. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard. These people are counseled to remember where the Lord brought them from and what he has done for them. They are to remember the days when the Lord, they, they served the Lord out of a glad heart and they wanted more than anything to simply do his will. They are to remember what it was like to walk in the power of God while the fire of his glory burned in them and he used them for his glory. Memory can be a bad thing when it causes us to, to live in the past and rest on past glory. But if memory wakes us up, if memory causes us to be resurrected in the present, then memory serves a great purpose. If we are to remember anything, let us remember that God is the one who makes churches great for his glory. And let's once again look to him. But also he, uses, he tells us to resolve, and he uses the word hold fast. This church is, is told to hold on to the things that are still alive in their midst. They are to resolve before the Lord that they will not allow these things to die as well. There is always a danger in focusing our attention on one area or another. And we, we don't want to revive one area just to watch another area die. We want to see revival in this area while everything else continues to grow as well. That's transformation. And transformation is what we want to see happening in, in individual lives and in the life of our church as a whole. But also uses the word repent. Repent. Notice here that they are confronted concerning their sin. When the things of God are allowed to die, the only recourse is for the church to repent. The idea of repentance is a foreign one all too often in our day. People seem to have the opinion that whatever they want to do is just, is just fine and that everyone should accept it. Listen to me. God is not obligated to accept the things that you do. You know what? God is love, but chiefly God is holy. And he is not obligated to be okay with your sinful lifestyle. When there is sin in the life of an individual, there must be repentance before there could ever be restoration and revival. The same is true for the church. When a church has allowed itself to be lulled into a state of slumber, there's only one hope, and that one hope is to repent. What does it mean to repent? It means that we come to a place where we experience a change of mind about our sin that results in a change of direction. We turn from our sins and we turn to God. In Bible school, I say very simply, I'm walking in this direction, doing my own thing, and God gets my attention. He tells me I'm going the wrong way, and I completely turn, and I begin to come towards him. Repentance is necessary. 
Repentance is a change of mind that results in that change in action. How long has it been since we as individuals and that we as a church have repented before the Lord for our laziness and for our complacency and our apathy and our wickedness and our deadness? He calls us to repent. But also they are told to wait. He says, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come unto thee. This church is told that if they will do, if they will not do the serious work of changing themselves, the Lord himself is going to come into their midst, and he is going to take away the things that remain alive, and the church will be totally and fully dead at that point. Like a thief, he's going to come and take the best, and they won't even know when he comes and when he goes. They will be in a state of total death. Sadly, I'm afraid that many churches are in that state today. When the call to repentance came from the Lord, they ignored it. He came with judgment swiftly. Now they function in the same ways that they did before. They still have services and they still have preaching and they still have outreach ministries and they still have missions. But guess what? They are dead. They are ineffective. They are merely going through the motions. They are no longer a church alive. They are a church dead. Jesus has pulled the plug and pronounced them dead. The Lord has written Ichabod over the door and they're not even aware Like Samson, the Lord has left them, and they wist not that the Lord had departed. That is a situation that we as the church here at Brinesburg want to avoid at all costs. But then thirdly and lastly, quickly, verses 4 through 6, we see the great physician's promise. He promises, his promises to the remnant is seen here in verse 4. It seems that as bad as things were here at Sardis, that they were, there were still some who were saved and seeking the Lord. They are giving the Lord all that they have. And they've given the Lord their life. And then we're told that they, they've been promised that they will have, have, have white garments. And at that time, uh, the Roman, in Roman times, white garments were used at festival times and times of celebration. It was a symbol of purity and victory and, and festivity. And what a promise to the faithful members of the church that they would be with the Lord in that way. But also we see here, his promise to the repentant in verse 5. Jesus tells the rest that if they will repent and, and turn to him, that they will receive those same promises. The, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, he says. They, they can have that same relationship with the Lord. He says, I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. They will be made secure in relationship to him. This is a verse that is a precious promise of of the absolute security that we have as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. See, because someday Jesus will usher his redeemed ones in the presence of the host of heaven. And he will say, this is one of mine. He was not ashamed of me and I'm not ashamed of him. You see, the majority of the people in the church at Sardis, they were not cold and out of God's will. They were lost. They were dead sinners in need of salvation. Jesus comes to them and he gives them an opportunity here, an opportunity to be saved. I know it sometimes sounds prideful and maybe arrogant, but I think if we look around at most of our churches today, we would have to admit that our churches are filled with lost sinners. They come in and they go through all the motions, but when you look at their life Monday through Saturday, it's evident that they do not have a relationship with the Lord. 
They're going through the motions, but they're merely practicing dead works. Churches in that shape do not need revival. They need a resurrection. And if you find yourself going through the motions this morning, if you find yourself without a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't need revival. You need a spiritual resurrection. You need to move from death to life. And I hope that you'll do that this morning. You know, Vance Havner once commented that ministries often begin with a man who has a vision. And that vision is, is, is captured by others. Who, and it becomes a movement. And as the movement gains followers and momentum, it becomes a machine. And after a while, people forget all about the vision. And what once was a movement becomes nothing more than a monument to a man and to a glorious past. There's always that danger that any church, no matter how great their past may have been, that the church can die. The great physician has his finger on the pulse of our church this morning. He has his finger on you as an individual this morning. What does his touch reveal about us? Are we alive? Are we dead? Are we barely hanging on? I want to challenge each of you to examine your heart, to examine the, the life of our church as well. Are there any things that need to change? Is there anything that you need to do? Is there any, any, any way you need to respond to the Lord this morning? Are you lost? Do you need to be saved? If the Lord's spoken to you this morning, be obedient and respond to him. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you today. And we thank you for this warning from the church at Sardis, Lord, a church that was dead, a church that was taking on the characteristic of the city in which it dwelt. And we look around us and we recognize, Lord, that as, as a community, as a state, as a nation, that, Lord, we need to cry out in repentance. We need to be on our faces before you. Lord, and at times, many times, I'm sure that we as a church and as individuals, we need to be in that same state because of things going on in our own lives. And so, Lord, this morning, we, we cry out to you. Lord, help us to, to open our hearts, to open our eyes. Lord, help us to see the things that need to be changed. And, Lord, for those who may not know you, those who need a, a relationship with you today, I pray. That... Thank you for listening to our broadcast today from Bryansburg Missionary Baptist Church. If you need spiritual help with your relationship with the Lord, please call 270-527-3757. Also, we would like to invite you to attend our services. On Sunday morning, Sunday school begins at 10 a.m. and our worship service is at 11 a.m. On Sunday evening, discipleship training begins at 5 p.m. with our worship service at 6 p.m. You may also view our Sunday worship services live on Mediacom Inspiration Channel 93. On Wednesday night, our worship service begins at 7 p.m. Once again, thanks for listening, and may God bless you and your family.